You're listening to Crunch, a podcast by award-winning New Zealand PR agency, HMC. Crunch stands for Crucial Chats Over Lunch. These are bite-sized discussions for business leaders that can easily be digested over your lunch hour, your morning commute, or whenever you listen to your favorite podcast. Crunch tackles a variety of topics to help business leaders build their knowledge in strategic communication and public relations. I'm your host, Mark Hunter, and it's my privilege to welcome you into Crunch. Welcome to another episode of Crunch. Today, we are talking about talent, or more specifically, how can your business attract the talent? And if it does attract good people, how do you keep them? And what role does PR or PR strategy play in that building a business reputation as being an employer of choice. So here's a concerning stat to start with. A recent survey done by HRD New Zealand found out that 9 out of 10 employers are struggling to attract talent. 9 out of 10 can't seem to find enough good people. And that's after the government has relaxed immigration policies to alleviate the issue. So that means that 90% are losing the fight to attract good people. And it is a fight. There's not enough talent to go around. Uh, which means to battle to attract and to hold good people. So how does your business do it? How is it going to do it? And that's today's discussion. How do you become a company where people want to be? And if you are such a company, how do you tell the talent out there and talent world that you're the one for them? Right, today I have two guests who know all about this and are going to give us some good advice. And the first is Singer Allen, uh, Managing Director and Executive Recruiter with Everest People. Welcome, Singer. Thank you, Mark. Uh, my second guest is Michael Matthews, who is the business manager with Perrin Ag. Good morning. Yeah. Hey, so this will be interesting having you along, Mike, because I know with Perrin Ag, you guys are very deliberate in this recruitment and keep good talent space. So we're going to tap into that. Also joining us on the podcast is HMC Senior Account Manager, Kate Weber. Kate, nice to have you here. Thank you so much, Mark. So you're going to be giving the whole PR perspective because what you do you work with companies to actually help them build up this whole PR strategy on not only how to become a good employer or an employer of choice, but how do you get that out there? So we're going to be tapping into that later on. But let's start at the top was what does it mean to even be a good employer, an employer of choice? And maybe that's even changed over the years. So I'm going to start with you, Singer, because you deal with this well, day in and day out for Absolutely. years. So what does it mean? Good employer means different things to different people. So what you might describe as being a good employer could be very different for my business or other businesses. But there's generally some widely held views about what being a good employer is. So, you know, are you being fair and reasonable in your practices? But that's that's what the law says you have to do. Yeah. But when we talk to candidates or we talk to people who are looking to change roles, they have really clear definition of what a good employer is. One of the first things they ask is, what's the culture of that company? What are their values? What do they stand for? Often the very last question that candidates ask is, how much is that job paying? Because things have shifted, things have changed, even in you know tougher economic times, post-COVID, those sorts of things. So they want to know about, you know, do they actually stand, mean what they stand for? Do they walk the talk? You know, if they're talking about sustainability as being one of their key policies, are they actually delivering on that? So people want to know what it means to be an employee in that workplace. So a good employer will mean very different things. It's really about what's unique for your business and then how can you use that to get people to come and work for you. So you want to really get some alignment between the people that work for you and what you stand for. Okay, so now we're talking about a certain kind of people that we want in our businesses and we're talking about 
the better people, the talent. So that's the top echelon. Do you find that they have a different way of viewing what a good employer is? There's a lot of research around it. In fact, in 20, at the beginning of 2022 and uh, stretching in 23, the Hayes Salary Survey looked at what, you know, what a good employer actually means in a, you know, sort of global sense. And so it was really about that alignment to things like, you know, is it a diverse workforce? Are they an inclusive workforce? Do they have good policies and stand by those? So things like the environment and sustainability are becoming more and more people's issues. And irrespective of gender or demography or, you know, generational issues as well, we saw a lot of changes post-COVID where people were like, you know what, I want something different. So there's a lot of intel out there about, you know, what that good employer looks like. Often what we say to clients is you need to almost do a bit of a self-assessment Assessment. You need to do a self-assessment on your business to be able to say, are we actually positioning ourselves the right way? And that's probably where Kate and HMC come in as well, as really saying, hey, we need to put our best foot forward. At the end of the day, it's about being authentic as well. There's no point putting out a brand or a look that says we do all these glossy, flashy things, mm. and then we have candidates come in and go, I feel like I've been completely misrepresented here Mm. because I went to work for that employer and they really weren't what you said they were going to be. And we see that so many times, the cost of replacing candidates who start with a business and then three months in go, this is not what, you know, they sold me a different dream, Mm. really. So, yeah, they have to be very careful in that space. At the end of the day, Senga, that's going to cost the business, right? Oh, you're better to do it right first time. Yeah. And don't, you know, don't present yourself if you are saying you're an employer of choice or a good employer, if you're not, you know, because mm. there are a lot of businesses out there who are say... You, are you Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We're on the journey. Yeah. And, and the best advocates of that, of course, are the people who work for that business. So mm. we always say to people, you know, go and do your due diligence, find out what it's like to work for that employer. Mm. New Zealand's a very small place. Mike, you must have some ideas. When I say the word employer of choice, which is a little bit of a management speak, but, you know, being a good place to work, how would you define it? I'll build a little bit on what Singer said. I, I thought a bit on this and I boiled it down to vulnerability. Mm. So I think as a business... Fascinating. Um, Unusual word. Well, there's a strength in vulnerability, right? But it involves having to pull the covers back a bit. So values, they're not a tick box exercise. Um, So it's genuinely, you have to live your values and you have to be able to display that on a good day and a bad day. I did sort of around the circle and went and and picked some brains in preparation and the authenticity of a business, being able to, I suppose, investigate and understand what the business is about. And there's a lot that's involved in the PR aspect there because we have to be willing to put ourselves out there, maybe scrutinised, it may not go the way that we plan but we need to be vulnerable and show strength in our vulnerability. So that's transparency. What do we do as a business? There's a lot of information readily available easily now. So staff turnover is investigated. All of our team that we've employed recently have checked the staff turnover in our team. They saw it as a a reflection of whether or not we could keep our promises as a business. So I think it puts pressure in the right place, being a good employer. It says to the leadership team, what are you going to do and can you do it every day, not just when you're feeling good or when the business is operating well, but always as a culture. And then it is that understanding that we can find people's passions um, Mm. and drive people and let them create their own niche and Mm. create autonomy and responsibility and 
and back people, but you really have to put yourself out there to be able to show that you do these things and it's not a sort of wash. I mean, there's a lot of buzzword that goes around that people tend to use, um, which makes it a little bit harder as a good employer to stand out as a good employer because everybody's talking the same language, but they're not all doing the same things. Yeah, that's where specificity, right? You always want to be able to show concrete examples of stories because you're right, everybody's promising the sun, but it's quite something when um, someone actually describes and gives examples. It's perfectly believable after that. Mm. Kate, have you got anything to add? Yeah, because, I mean, how many staff have you got? 22. 22? Yeah, I just wonder if it's, I don't know if you're a slightly smaller business, there's nowhere to hide, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I just wonder, Senga, you might have an opinion on, I suppose, you know, the principles are the same, whether you're large or small, but is it easier for big corporates to hide no, no, I actually I don't think it is because you are more open, you know, mm. as a corporate. More you, visible. Yeah, you, you've got the volume there where mm. you get a couple of bad eggs or a couple of bad experiences and, you know, it becomes, you know, we always say to people, the last thing you ever want to be is on the front page of the newspaper for something, anything, especially with a negative slant, mm. you know. So in larger corporates, that would be a death knell for some of those mm. companies, but also small business. Mm. I think one of the things that I actually reflect on a lot when we think about, you know, culture, I always say to people, you can feel what it's like in that business. And, and for that what we talk about there is climate. So the climate in a business, how does it actually feel? It's really quite tangible. You know, you walk into a business, or it might be retail or manufacturing or hospitality. What does it feel like? Does it feel like this has got a really cool place to work type vibe to it? Or is it everybody's not laughing? You know, this it's very quiet and there's no mm. conversation and, you know, you can feel that negativity sometimes going on. That's actually a really good litmus test for a lot of people is to actually go into that business and feel mm. what it's like there. A good example of this, uh, a really good friend of mine, her daughter, Claudia, has, um, she's finished her law degree and got two offers from one of, what do they call them, the big six, Mm. The, um, the law firms in the country, mm. got two offers. One of them has a clear reputation for grinding the young people and just everybody burns the midnight oils. It's just a culture of <laughs> work, work, work. The other one, completely different culture. Now, Claudia had two jobs. The one with a bad reputation was offering her a position in the field where she actually wanted to go. The other one, they had something available to her. They really wanted her, not quite in the area she wanted to go, but their culture was, uh, reputation was something quite special, which she went with that. They liked her so much, they created a job in the area she wanted. First day, all the law students turn up. And of course, they're nervous, right? It's their first day. And they're all in their good gear. And then they arrive and they're being put in a bus and taken for uh, Italian cooking lessons all day which was their introduction to this particular law firm, right? Yes. And and it's been great ever since. And so she is a great example of someone, if the culture is known to be good, they can make the difference. And by the way, she will be a rock star and the other firm have lost a rock star mm. because they just burn through people and people mm. know about that. Yeah, the reputational side of things with business, you know, it's very easy to get a bad reputation. Whether it's right or not, perception is reality in a lot of these scenarios. So you have to always be ahead of that thinking, how are we seen in the market? How are we seen by talent? How are we seen by our current employees? How do they view us? Because that's, you know, a big part of being a really good employer. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's just assume for a second that um, the people who are listening in and the people who are listening in are probably part of the 90%, right, that are struggling to find good talent. Mm. So let's just assume that you are a company that's got good things going on. The culture's good. You're a good employer. How do you get that out? Or how, what is the need to be very purposeful or intentional about getting that message out? Mike, I'm going to start with you because you're in the field or the sector of agriculture. And farmers, as we know, more than ever, they're needing help and assistance with all kinds of things, not the least compliance and stuff. And so agribusiness consultants, huge demand for them and an even greater demand for the very best ones, which is what you're wanting. How do you go about letting them know that you're the place they ought to start with? Yeah, so, well, we engage in public relations. In that regard, there is that element there where you can do the best you can do, and if nobody knows about it, well, maybe it hasn't been done, particularly from an attracting top talent perspective. There's a value, it's a type of, I call it a causal loop, so we have a real strong focus on being great employers um, and we try to take inside and we ask questions and we listen X, Y, Z. But what we end up creating is we create quite an engaged team. So that means that people can sort of follow their passions, do great work, produce great outputs. Then we need to share that we do that. So then we go and tell people about it and then we can attract more talent. It comes into an existingly engaged team. Those people start finding their passions and producing really good work we can talk about it. And so we end up in this loop where it facilitates the building of our capability. Ultimately, it means better business productivity or, and reputation. And then we sell that back again. Um, so we have this loop that ultimately improves our business mm. um, using our own drive to be a good employer and then experts like yourselves to help articulate our story. Okay, you want to jump in there? I suppose the point for me in all of this is often we work with clients. They come to us needing help to build their reputation and trust, but they actually forget about the employer of choice objective. And I mean, everything you do in PR contributes, right? But it's like Senga was saying before, and, and Mike's just touched on now, it's about walking the talk, telling your story. And, you know, you can say you have these values, but if you're not proving that to anybody, they're sort of hollow promises. So we've probably been working with Pyrenaeg for, what, three, four years now? Mike, I think, probably before your time even. Before me, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're on that journey and, yeah, they're crying out for more people. And so that's, you know, often as budgets get squeezed, you know, you we find our clients are wanting to focus on specific areas of PR and for Pure and Ag that has been becoming an employer of choices as one of those. Well, you said before, Mike, you've got this causal loop. Mm. You've attracted good people. They are a part of the process of retaining or keeping the culture going. Do you use these people or, or invite them to become part of attracting more people? And if you do, how do you do that? So I'm one of yours. Let's say, glad I come on to Perinag. I feel engaged, feel happy, feel content. How do you use me to get more of me? So the advocacy, obviously, it doesn't get any better than your own team mm. talking positively about your business. Mm. So creating opportunities for you to do that ideally through your work or something that you're passionate about or particularly involved in. But then I arguably we take it a step further. So when we interview somebody, say, for example, well, if you're a new member to the team, you'll be a part of that interview process. I may not be in the room. There may be no seniors in the room. The team will interview a new potential member of our team. As we move through graduate interviews, the previous two years graduates interview the graduates. 
that gives real love, open love conversation. Yeah, and that's that vulnerability, right, or the strength in that mm. vulnerability. You have to back yourself that the team are advocating for you, and the only way to be confident in that is to advocate mm. for them as well. I think, too, with Pyrenaeg, um, they've got their Empower Graduate Program, so the most recent graduate becomes the pin-up person for, for next year's <laughs> campaign. Yeah. The family and friends get involved and it's, you know, just, a, I suppose, another way of celebrating the new talent that you have coming on board each year. It's a real advantage having new people come in. We have a very flat hierarchy. There's no sitting at the table and waiting for somebody to talk. Everybody's welcome to talk and mm. everybody stops and listens while they're talking. But the rush of new ideas and Oh, fresh enthusiasm and good personalities, it all contributes at all levels. So genuine team approach. So if you're a new member of our team, these would be the sort of things that you could expect to be involved in. Cool. Singa, you deal with people looking to attract new people all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you help them get that message out? They are good as an employer, but how do you help them tell a good story to attract people? Yeah, and there's a number of ways that that happens from the point of, you know, when you're first looking to attract people to your workplace. So there's a number of ways that that happens. We're moving very much to a digital environment for that now, but the old school making sure that you present yourself properly and when you're advertising and trying to attract people and that you're actually being authentic in what that, that you know, who you are as a business. The employee referral that, you know, Mike's just mentioned about is exactly a good way to get people in the door. You know, your shop front, uh, your website, which talks about who you are and what your company is and having some, you know, some video testimonials on there from your existing employees is another good way of actually promoting your story. But the storytelling itself is really important and it has to be genuine, you know. So when I'm talking to somebody about a business, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you definitely want to go and work for them because of X, Y, and Z. And that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for that business because the good positive recommendations will help them attract people because people are very choosy, even in a recession and where there has been a downturn and people are being made redundant, there is still a level of, you know, candidates actually deciding who they want to go and work for. Yes, in really hard times, that's pretty much it's a job, I'll take it. But as soon as things change, they'll be looking for who's that good employer mm. that I want to go and work for. I think you hit on something that, that I sort of thought about myself, Singer. You talked about the website being the shop front, and I think we can probably fold social media into that as yes, well. absolutely. You know, and, and in the digital age, you do your research, right, before absolutely. you, you know, you see, uh, you know, what have they been up to in the news. I think Pure and Egg's got a great uh, team page on their website. You know, people want to be working with other great people that they can learn from and be mentored by. So, you know, having really great bios on the website and celebrating your team's success. So, you know, having those stories on your website for people to read. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting scenario when we often talk to employers and they'll be looking to recruit, you know, attract new talent. And they've got this list of questions that they want to ask. It's an interview. And yes, this formality around that. And, you know, and they are going to do all the talking. And it's like, well, actually, these days, it's due diligence both ways. It's dating. You know, if I want to work for your company, I'm going to ask lots of questions of you. You. I'm going to do my research about, you know, who mm. HMC is. I want to ask people what they know about them. It's mm. not a fait complete that just because I'm here for an interview that I'm actually going to choose you. Mm, for yeah. sure. Mm. So you're a good employer. Your people know that. You've been able to tell the talent world that you're a good place to go, to be at rather. You've attracted good people. Let's talk about keeping them. 
how hard is it in today's environment to keep good people? And what are the benefits? So let's just talk about how hard is it? Is, is that an issue where retaining talent is a problem still? No, and it's been a changing environment. So 21, 22, it was all on. You know, people were headhunting employees left, right and centre. There were ridiculous counter-office going on. People were being multi-offered jobs. It was just crazy. That has changed in 2023. That said, the retention question is still absolutely important because the cost of losing people is significant. You know, you lose institutional knowledge, you're losing, you know, key relationships, understanding of what's happening out in the marketplace, all of those sorts of things. Even in a recession when people are downsizing, they are thinking about how do I retain my top talent? And it's gut-wrenching when you can't because of the cost factor side of things. So, you know, retention in 21-22, we were seeing companies that were actually creating retention managers where they were going around and talking to their employees and saying, tell me what you like about working here. Where are the barriers? How can we help you? What else would make your job more satisfactory? Are there any other benefits we should be considering? So, you know, that's how things were looking pretty grave back then. Now I think it's about, you know, retaining good people is about having those upfront conversations and actually saying, you know, talk to me about, you know, what else we can do to help you in your career here. Professional development is still massive, no matter what environment, whether it's personal development or professional development, people want to feel valued. And I've just got a little wee story, I won't drag it out, but a couple of years ago, I was hunting for an employee for an employer. And he was with an organisation that he'd been with for quite some time. He was moving into more private practice from public. That was more money. It was, you know, better benefits, all of these sorts of things. And he chose not to go down that pathway because his employer that he was, and he still is with, was investing in his leadership development skills. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to hang in here because A, I really value that. I really love the fact that they see me as leadership potential. And B, you know, there's a loyalty factor there. You know, we don't just want to jump ship for the sake of 10 grand more because that was happening. It's not so much now, now that things have softened up a little bit more. Right. Mike, yeah, you, you don't lose people, it sounds like. You've, well, you I, you I get mean, them and you all, keep them. We all lose people, but building on what you said, Senga, a little bit, we lose people, attrition is attrition. But I would say in the, the stage of our journey that we're in, we actively seek that type of feedback, mm. um, but we're having to seek it less because it's been brought to us proactively. So you walk around the office and somebody's, Mike, I saw something yesterday and I think, and that's fantastic. That's right. For me, that's when you've hit gold, yeah. right? Um, the floor is open, everybody's opinions can count and people are actively looking for opportunities to improve our team yeah. um, and improve our business. So I, from a leadership perspective, there is you know, clear growth pathways, transparency about how we act and what we do, transparency around the business and costs and these type of things. That's one thing that we've pushed through your Empower campaign and program is is outlining exactly, you know, what they can expect. Yeah, you know, it's and, and we talked this year, didn't we, about, okay, so how is that going to change this year? And we've started to talk about the flat hierarchy at Piranag and every voice matters, whether you're a graduate or you're a principal consultant or one of the owners of the business. And we highlighted that, I think, in this year's campaign. Absolutely. Mm. The other piece, I mean, there's two ways to do this and, and we try to do them both. So after being with Perinag for a certain amount of time, you can buy into the business. 
So that's fantastic. But for those that don't necessarily, or maybe they have different investment options or whatever the case may be, there's also that improving the business. So it's as valuable to put a brick in the wall as it is to buy a brick and put it in the wall. So if you're operating in a business where you can see things that you've generated influencing positive change, it's buy-in, right? It's not equal, but it's as close as you can get. Mm. Um, so we try to sort of run those things in, in parallel. Mm. We're going to turn soon to PR tactics, and Kate, you'll have a lot to say about that. But before we do, let's just assume that there's a business listening in and they're nowhere near Perrin Ag's stage. You've got a culture whereby people so believe that it's okay to come and tell you what they're seeing and the changes they think could be good. But let's just say my business is nowhere near that. I think, my gosh, I'm not sure if I even have those kind of stories or I'm even afraid of going to um, talk to my employees because I'm not even sure what kind of stories I'm going to get out of them. Where do I start? I think very simply, if you focus on your people, you cannot miss. Go and get to know them. Explore their interests. Give them opportunities to talk in a genuinely safe environment. Doesn't have to be particularly a comfortable environment. Those are two, you know, there's a lot of value in challenging conversations. But encourage to talk, support, I think. Go and talk to your staff, your team. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, we often find the biggest barrier to becoming an employer of choice or starting to engage in really open conversations with your employees is the leader or the owner of the business, is that, you know, we can go in and we can get a lot of data and we can get a lot of information and you can present that to the leader or the business owner and they go, yeah, no, I don't want to do anything with that. You know, and it, it, it's that it happens. It, it really happens. Absolutely, it really happens because they have a fixed view on, you know, I'm the best widget maker in New Zealand. Why would I need to promote myself? I've got people lined up wanting to come and work for me. Well, that's actually not the case because we know that. So I think there is a barrier where people. It's that lack of self-awareness, lack of emotional intelligence, where they may be really crawling, as you mentioned, and are not open. They're not open to the idea of actually changing their perception in the market and becoming an employer of choice and having a really good brand. In our business, we've spent 17 years developing our brand and very proud of what we've achieved. But you're only as good as the last piece of work you do. So mm. you always constantly need to be sharpening that saw and thinking about, you know, how else can I improve things here? What could we do better, faster, smarter? So I think there's a big emotional intelligence leadership battle that goes on where some businesses get a bit cocky. Yeah. It's the best mm. way to describe it. For sure. Mm. You said you've been in business for 17 years, Singer, and built up your reputation. And I think that was a key point I wanted to make was the stuff doesn't happen overnight, right? It takes time, it takes persistence, do things in a consistent way. Yeah, and obviously over 17 years, you're at the top of your game, but like you say, maintaining it. You never, ever take it for granted. Mm. You know, what I'd say to the team is you never, ever assume that everything is going to keep carrying on the way it is. Mm. You always need to be thinking about how could we do things better mm. and never assume that just because you've worked with that client or you've got that employee working with you that that's always going to be the case. Mm. I think too, and I know we've we touched on this, I think, in our first podcast with Jeremy from Lodge about the reputational bank balance. Mm. And um, that's right. If you find yourself in a hairy situation, I'm so, sure, Senga, you've advised clients on, on a few uh, in your time. But, you know, if you've got a good reputation and 
you do have an issue or someone takes a personal grievance mm. or something like that, then um, your business will will stand in good stead a bit more, I think, if you've got a good reputation. You know, people tend to be more forgiving. Mm. So would you agree, Sanga? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you say you're going to do something, then mm. you need to do that. You know? integrity, right? Absolutely. Mm. It's huge. Mm. Just linking those two things together. If you're going to go to your staff and, as you said, Michael, and just and ask them, hey, what are you like and what are you not? You really have to follow through, right? You don't get too many bites of that yeah. apple. Amen. But if you have the humility to listen and the will to act on things that you think that's reasonable and we mm. can we can do something about that. Or you, if not, tell them why, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the worst thing you can do, it's almost making it worse. If you go to them, they give you their feedback, you do nothing, you're in worse situation than you were before you even asked. Never should have asked. Yep, yeah. exactly. And don't ask again. <laughs> yeah, because you know, if you do that and you don't do anything with it, and this is what we see in larger corporates as well, is that they're ticking a box because their board or their whatever mm. is saying we want to find out what employee engagement is. So they go and do a survey, and they, you know, there's no follow through, there's no change, and then you know they wonder why they're not getting good results mm. or good engagement from their employees. Mm. All right, we're going to transition and talk about PR tactics. Oh, that's what I love the best. Yeah, yeah. And look, this is a specialised <laughs> area because not everyone's great at communicating. They might be really good employer, but getting that message out into the world, that's not their thing. They know how to make the widgets that you were talking about, Singer, but to be able to put together a plan, a communication plan, that's a different thing altogether. So, Kate, I'm going to turn to you and say you work with businesses to build their brands as an employer of choice how does that get done? What tactics do you employ? Well, I think a lot of the PR tactics that we implement with our clients, becoming an employer of choice is sort of naturally happens as part of that. I'll talk a little bit more later about, you know, being more purposeful about that. But with Pyrenag and a lot of our other clients, profiling your team is massive. You know, celebrate their successes on, on social media. Maybe it's uh, with a media story if they've won some awards. Like I said before, people want to know that they're mentored and supported by other great, clever, smart people. If you have got a good calibre of people on your team, then you must be a good company, right? Mm. Thought leadership can be challenging, identifying those topical issues that you want your your team or your or your company to have an opinion on. But I think, yeah, you do have to be a bit bold about that. That's obviously something that we help our clients with. Um, you want to show that you're a leader in your industry, but not just through the media or on social media. By now, Pier and Ag, they speak at a lot of events, industry conferences, but making sure you tell people that you're doing that. So not just to those who are in the room, but maybe there's a new story you can develop from the presentation that the person's been giving, and then you can share some photos on, on social media. Pier and Ag uh, are getting a lot better at that, aren't you, Mark? Yeah. It's, it's just reminding them to, hey, can somebody take a photo while you're there, you know? Media stories, new appointments, business wins, any awards. Talk about the great stuff that you're doing and encourage people because they want to be part of that success. Uh, don't forget LinkedIn. I know people are a little bit hesitant about sharing their opinions and, and posting on LinkedIn. But um, Why is that? I think because you're in your comfort zone when you're on Facebook and Instagram because it's your family and friends. Right. Whereas LinkedIn, you're putting yourself out there for your colleagues and industry peers to judge you. I think people are becoming more confident about it, but we do find it's a sticking point for some of our clients and, to, and it's something that we're, we're working through with Pier and Ag is really making sure that their team has a best practice presence on LinkedIn and just giving them some tips for how they could post, the tone of voice they should use, 
and like Senga has said, being authentic and real about it and not too corporate, which certainly isn't Perinag at all. So, you know, obviously that's great for your existing team, but also for your new recruits, um, making sure you're tailoring that to a professional audience, celebrating the success of your people and show how you support them. And I think we saw a lot of that around COVID. Companies were looking after their staff who were homesick. And you don't always want to shout these things from the rooftop. Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. So you just have to use a little bit of judgment there to make sure you're not leveraging the PR out of a a situation you possibly shouldn't be. We talked about social media and web being your shop window. Make sure it's up to scratch. New recruits are going to look there when they're doing research on your business. And we've talked quite a lot about internal comms already. But yeah, keep your staff engaged. Like Mike said before, they're your biggest advocates. And New Zealand is a small place, like Senga said, but the agribusiness sector in New Zealand is even smaller and um, more well-connected. So, It sounds to me like there's no silver bullet to any of this in terms of your comms. When you add up a bunch of these kinds of things, they can actually really make a difference. And and I guess when someone is looking, so we'll use you, right, Mike, Piranag, they're looking to get into some sort of agricultural sector thing. I'm a consultant and I'm investigating. You said before, right, Singer, it's a dating game. Oh. So it's not just you looking for the right people. The right people are also looking for whether you're it. And if you've got all these kind of Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn feeds that they're finding and they say, well, they do celebrate their people. While there are some professionals, well, there is that article that was a thought article. Maybe in the end, when someone is looking, it all adds up to something, oh, I'm going to go for an interview with those people. Yeah. I'm going to apply for that job. I think absolutely. I mean, using the same analogy, it, we don't want it to be a blind date. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, That's great. You have a way with words, Mike. Oh, jeez. You can, um, you can all use the dating analogy we, now. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, have well, my permission. You've got to mention every time we do it, she's <laughs> clipping the ticket on that. You described the interviews, you, the initial interviews you had with your, your graduates here as, as speed interviews or speed dates, yeah, right? Speed dates. So it gives you an initial sort of a gauge on whether you think them they'll be the right fit for the team. Yep, and give them an opportunity to think whether or not we're a good fit for, for them. them. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so we no longer ring and say, hey, you've got the interview. It's a, we really enjoyed the discussion. Are you interested in having another one? Yeah, mm, nice. Uh, it's not this, here's your ticket to the show. It's the, sh- would you like to come? Yeah. Um, because that's the nature of the mm. of the industry at the moment or employment full so. stop, I would argue. The thing I love about Perrin Egg's approach too is they haven't just put the ad out and just sat there and waited for these people to apply. They're building relationships with the universities. They're telling their story on social media and and through the media, you need to put in a bit more effort, you know, to get the people that you want. And it's a hard case. I mean, traditionally, Piranag, um, a lot of scientists, traditionally introverted people, very capable and hilarious, but not going to go out and wave their own flag and yell from the rooftops. So from a strategic point of view, you know, if you're not saying no to things, you don't have strategy, it wasn't for us to look and think, in-house, we'll build our PR capability. Yeah. We went and engaged the appropriate experts. Luckily, we found some awesome ones, really. Do you think um, Mike? But to the earlier point, consistency is something you talk about a lot. Mm. Um, and using, using the data analogy, you can't get to know somebody if you can only find a snippet somewhere about something. Mm. Um, so we need to be vulnerable and put ourselves in the, in the public eye um, so that people can make their own well, educated you're decisions. You're building a relationship, which is hard to do when you can't see someone in person Right, so need to be creative about finding ways to mm. to build that relationship with these people to actually get them to that interview stage. 
there's a couple of stories I'll just mention very quickly. One is that, you know, I often talk about if you're an accountant and you're a business owner and you're thinking about buying a $150,000 piece of plant, right? I don't know about most people will do a heck of amount of research on mm. it. If I'm going to spend 150 grand on something, crikey, I'm going to research it. I'm going to do all the reviews. I'm going to, you know, talk to other people who have bought it and used it and look for this and that and the other. And it might take me weeks before I make decide to push the button to buy that. Whereas you talk to an employer and they've met somebody once over a formal interview and it's like, right. I'm going to hire that person yeah. for that $150,000 It's crazy salary. when you put it like that, it is, isn't it? It's, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of like, hmm. And the other thing I just wanted to talk before we move off that brand piece is that you have to look broader than just, you know, what your employees say and what you do as well. So for us, it's about, and there's a lot of research coming out around what do you stand for in your community? So our tagline is Everest All About People. And we live and breathe that. So what do we do in our community? How do we give back to the business community? What sort of sponsorships do we actually provide for? What do we give back to people? Do we do some pro bono work? Are we known for more than just being, mm. you know, human resource consultants, recruiters and trainers? We actually do good as well. And, and there's a lot of, you know, certainly the millennials are looking to work for employers who do good, not mm. just make widgets. For sure. I think yeah. too, Mike's, you've got some good examples about what Perinag does in that space, but you know, it's not just about giving money. Yeah. I think a couple of years ago, the Perinag team were at Nakuru School painting the swimming pool, you know, yeah. giving their time, yeah. which was also a great team building exercise. You know, um, you got to use the pool now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many of us you'd want to see in our talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a PR disaster. Yes, yes, yes. Don't I, do that. I think that's pretty real. That's real and authentic. That's the vulnerable right? stuff right yeah, there. For sure. Tradition, uh, there are exceptions, but as a rule of thumb, we don't give money without giving time. Mm. What a great ethos. Mm. Mm. Great thing, right? Genuine community. Every one of our team in the business have a community fund each year that they can write something up and flick it through, and that might be... Oh, Vouchers for different agricultural days or planting like trees, say, planting trees, volunteering in different forest events or whatever the case may be. But very solemnly, do we just write checks? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Good. Hey, just uh, we're going to close up very soon, but um, just one more thing, just to say within the dating theme, there's a movie Hitch. There right? is. Uh, yeah, and it's. I think dating coaches are a big thing in the States because someone listening in now is thinking, okay, I've heard some things out of everybody, but I just don't know where to start. And HMC is kind of like the dating coach, right? If you don't know how to start this good employee, employer, sorry, um, culture that we need to create or, or getting it out into the world, it's just worth a chat with a dating coach, right? Wow. Who can actually get you with some ideas, set you on your way, set out a program, Right, that's my plug for HMC. Probably want to talk to Senga first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you could do that. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we often do things together. So, for you sure. know, it is about, yeah, <laughs> do that deep dive and figure out what's going on in your business. Okay. Mm. What we like to do with the, to end crunch is we have a, um, a food or a meal kind of a theme question. Here it is. School lunches. Think back into the day. What was your bulk standard school lunch? That's be, the first thing. Could be what throwing your my parents under the bus here. And yeah. if you did have the odd special lunch, what was it? That's an interesting one. I was raised in a family that uh, didn't have a lot of money. 
So school lunches were often jam sandwiches and I'd go to school and the kids would have, you know, ham and luncheon and rolls and all of that sort of stuff. So I'd always think, but once a, once a week or once a fortnight, I was allowed to go to the cafeteria. I'm showing my age a little bit, the canteen at school. <laughs> and it would be a meat pie and a bag of potato chips. And you take the lid off the pie, you scoop out the meat yeah. with the potato yeah. chips, and then you put the chips in. So that's going back to, you know, nice. when no, the dinosaurs, we're, we're the same. dinosaurs roamed, roamed the earth back then, Mark. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, remember yeah. them? No, the canteen was just wonderful. I would have the apricot pie, nothing healthy, apricot oh. pie and a donut. Yeah. Otherwise it was luncheon. Mm. Mike, what's your standard? Yeah, no, it was sandwiches, but I was fortunate enough to have the luncheon or the oh, ham. Or, yep. The old lady made some health sandwiches. Um, and then it was canteen at lunchtime or yeah. in Otorua. It was the fish and chip shop across the road yes. sometimes yeah, as well. Okay. Yeah, nice. treats. Well, I was at a rural school with no canteen. I know, hard done by, right? I look at what I put in my kids' lunch boxes now and I'm like, man, oh, there's choice, so much choice. I, I just have uh, cheese and lettuce sandwiches and a piece of fruit. But there was a girl in my class who would always have chips in her lunchbox and uh, mellow puffs, oh. and she got tired of it, so we'd do a swap. So um, that's great. And oh. actually, on my way here today, I actually drove past my little school in Horahora. Hmm. It's a little rural school with three, four classrooms. Um, cool. So that was a little bit nostalgic this morning. Yeah. So. Very good. Hey, we're going to wrap it up there. So thanks for um, Singer for joining us, Mike as well. Some great insights, Kate. Always good to see you. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you at the next episode of Crunch. Thanks for joining us for the Crunch Podcast, brought to you by New Zealand PR agency, HMC. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss our next episode. See you next time.